Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Hi, friends. This is Pastor Cliff, Senior Pastor at First Naz. This week's episode of the Lessons from First Naz podcast is a message that comes from 2 Peter chapter 3. That passage was read to us in the worship service by Tom Hennigan, but was not recorded. I want to make sure that you hear the scripture so you know what we're talking about. After the scripture reading, we'll go to the recording of the message as it was preached at First Naz. The scripture goes like this. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Today I want to just sort of take that passage and break it down for, for us uh, verse by verse, just sort of follow the line of thought that Paul threw out there. But as we get started, uh, let me tell you just this one thing that's very important to grasp. This passage is all about growing in your faith. Yes, absolutely, it involves some talk about judgment, but the point of the chapter is not judgment. It's about growing in your faith. In fact, it's sort of a how to grow in your faith. 
Let's take a look. Uh, at the beginning of the chapter, Peter uh, tells us the whole reason that he's written this letter, and specifically these last several verses of his letter. He said it was because the people to whom he was writing, for whom he had great affection, had come to believe and to think differently than he, Jesus, and the apostles thought. As a matter of fact, they were of such a different mind that he said, um, it's no longer healthy or wholesome for you to think the way that you think. And I'm sending this letter to you so that you can see the error of your ways, change your minds, and come back to agreeing with Christ and his apostles. He said, I'm going to change your thinking from something unwholesome to where you agree with a reliable truth. And in verse 2, he talks to us about why the truth, this truth that, he, uh, that he's writing to us about today, is so reliable. He claims that it's reliable because it was spoken from three very reliable witnesses. He said these three witnesses talk to us about the same thing. The prophets from the Old Testament, Jesus, God come in the flesh, and the apostles, those who were with him daily for three years, watched the whole crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension thing, and watched it for 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, and listened as Jesus said, okay, uh, it's intensive time. Pay close attention. You didn't seem to get much of this all during the first three years, so pay attention, people, and wait, wait, wait. Don't go out there and teach it until I give you the gift of my Holy Spirit. The Old Testament witnesses, Jesus himself, and the apostles together, Peter writes, were saying the same thing, that there was a coming day of judgment. What was it that Peter's audience was thinking that was so wrong? They were thinking, um, we've heard this before. The prophet said it a long time ago, no day of judgment has come. Jesus said, day of judgment, here we are 30 years later, no day of judgment, it hasn't happened. And yeah, I know the other people who agree with Jesus said the same thing, and we still haven't seen anything like a day of judgment. So apparently, they were misguided in that understanding, and life's just going to keep on going on like it was going on, and time will continue to slip, slip, slip into the future, just as it always has. We don't have to worry about some big impending day of judgment. It's all a bunch of make-believe that maybe some religious people said to scare people into doing what's right. But in verse 5, Peter says that there's, a, there's another problem besides just having wrong ideas. And the problem was that, he said, his audience had a wrong heart. It's not just that their heads were wrong, but their hearts were wrong. He said that they had willfully decided to disagree with the truth. He said they intentionally forgot. You ever tried to intentionally forget anything? You, it doesn't work. Quick, don't remember your name. Still do. Don't remember your phone number. Still do. Anything that you try to forget, you remember. Peter said it's not like it slipped their minds. It's that they keep telling themselves this isn't true. This isn't true. This isn't true. I refuse to believe that this is true. So they had deliberately turned their attention, their affections, their opinions another way. But all the while, there was this voice of truth in the background. They were just saying, we refuse to agree with it. In this case, they refused to agree with what Jesus, the Old Testament prophets, and the apostles were teaching, that there was a coming day of judgment. Verses 5 and 6, Peter takes an interesting line in this whole thing. He says, um... I am really certain the judgment is coming. 
And the crowd would then say, how certain are you? He said, I am as certain of judgment as I am of creation. Get it? He said, if this world came into being, it will also be judged. And the latter is just as sure as the former. And since he was talking about already accomplished history, the world had already been created thousands of years before, he said, well, if the world exists and was created, then it is moving toward judgment and one day will be judged. He said he was as certain of, of judgment as he was of creation. Verses 8 and 9, however, are probably the part of the text that you have heard the most often. They're probably the part that you have heard quoted the most often. They may be the part of the Bible that you personally quote the most often. An interesting, interesting phrase that says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. I think that is the, one of, if not the most misapplied, misinterpreted phrases in all of the Bible. People have cited that verse to argue with the Bible's historical record and to try to make all of the inconvenient history go away. When we read the Old Testament, it says some pretty incredible things and gives, gives um, big numbers like lifespans that are unimaginable for us. It tells the story of the creation of the entire universe in such a time period that we mortals go, oh, come on. It couldn't possibly have happened in six days. And as we read the numbers in the scripture and we look at them and they, they somehow don't seem real agreeable to us, we jump over to this place in Second Peter and say, ah, but we've got an answer key. The answer key is there is no time. Uh, days like a thousand years, a thousand years are like a day, so uh, don't try to figure it out. It all comes out in the wash. And we've used that to try to dismiss the reliability of the historical record of the scriptures. But I think a greater injury that we have done to ourselves is that we have taken this idea, day is like a thousand years, thousand years is like a day. And we've tried to use it to cover God's tracks because we think he needs his tracks covered. That is, we've looked at the promises of God and said, like the audience, when are they going to come true for me? Somebody's praying for me and says, I just, just hold on. I, 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 just, I just know that it's going to happen soon for you. And say, soon? Well, if you use the Bible formula, soon is forever. And forever is soon. It doesn't work for me any longer. But we Christians are, don't like to hear about anybody being disappointed with God. So we very quickly say, ah, oh, a thousand years is like a day, a day is like a thousand years. So God's off, scot-free. Don't be disappointed with him. Hmm. Whenever we take parts of God's word and try to force them to say things that they don't say, whenever we try to apply them to things to which they don't apply, the misinformation costs our souls. See, Peter wasn't talking about chronology. He wasn't trying to make the creation or in six days or Adam's 930-year lifespan defendable. 
He wasn't trying to cover God's tracks. That's not what he was talking about at all. Instead, he's, making a, he's not making a statement that God doesn't run a solar calendar or work according to it. Instead, he's answering some people who had grown apathetic in their faith, so much so that they were saying, none of this righteous living stuff matters either if the time isn't dependable. If this righteous living stuff mattered, then God would have come along in judgment at some point because our world is a mess. Do you understand that people have always said our world is a mess? God needs to come and straighten it out. It's not just today. Just so you know, it's not worse today. It's always been worse. It's always been worse than it ought to be. We've gotten better at communicating it, less shamefaced about communicating it. We take all of the evil and parade it around now. But mankind has always said, this world is broken. And some of us have said, yeah, well, if there is a God out there who's good and this world is so bad, how come he hasn't come and done anything about it? That whole day of judgment thing must be a fairy tale. Here's Peter's answer to that way of thinking. So you know what the problem is? The problem is, that you have confused God's patience for slowness. You've confused God's patience for slowness, he said specifically in keeping his promises. And when we hear promises, we go, ooh, somebody told me that uh, God promised to make me rich and healthy and not the promises he's talking about. In this passage, he's talking about the promise that the prophets and Jesus and the apostles had made, the promises that judgment was coming. He says, when you grab a hold of that verse and run somewhere else with it, when you try to use it to defend God, or when you try to use it to throw out the idea of an omnipotent God who creates on a timetable that is unbelievable to you, you misunderstand where he was going. He said, no, no, no. This thing is talking about the promises of God. And in case you think God has been too slow to judge this world, then understand that his slowness means your salvation. You see, his slowness is motivated by his patience. Who hopes that the judgment is this afternoon? Seriously, Caleb, not the right time to raise your hand. Okay, Thanks for paying attention, though, buddy. Um, who hopes the judgment's this afternoon? Bring the... Ju- you see, God's slowness in coming to take care of all those evil people out there is Him taking care of you and of those evil people out there. God's slowness is what we call slowness, is actually his patience. And his patience is built upon one very important spiritual principle that just might save you in the end. And the principle is this. God would far rather be patient with you than judge you. We're talking about the heart of God here. You know what the heart of God prefers? He's not sitting up there going, I can't wait for the day. The heart of God leans the direction of human beings in love. And because he would far rather love you than bring judgment and punishment, he waits and waits and waits. Verse 10 says, However, but while God waits patiently, you do need to know this. Judgment is coming. And when it comes, it will not be gentle. He's patient. He waits. But when he waits no longer, 
judgment will be a furious thing. In verses 11 through 18 then, Peter then answers a very important question for us. He says, well then, if judgment is coming, if judgment is certain, if judgment, when it comes, will not be gentle, how should we then live? What should we do right now? He gives us a handful of answers. In verse 11, he says this, live like people who really belong to God. You quit making excuses for all the ways that you don't. Live like people who really belong to God and quit making excuses for the times that you don't. Listen, excuses, I'm going to give you a definition here. You, if you're a note taker, write this one down because I promise it's good, okay? Here's an excuse. An excuse is a lie that we tell ourselves or others to let ourselves off the hook when we never intended to be successful in the first place. Let me say it again, you unpack it. What is an excuse? It's a lie that I tell myself or Jean so that she and I will let me off the hook when I never intended to do what I told her I would. See, if, if my heart is right toward Jean and I promise her something, but I just fail to be able to do it, I tried, it didn't work out, then I'm being honest when I say to her, I didn't get it done. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? When I come to her and give her all the 900 excuses for why I never tried to be faithful to her. Categorically a different thing, isn't it? In verse 11, Peter says to us in response to that question, well, if judgment's coming and when it comes, it's going to be, huh? How should we live? He says, well, live like people who really belong to God instead of making excuses for all the ways that you don't live like God. Uh, and he says, he puts it this way, live holy and godly lives. Let's define a couple of terms. Holy means set apart for God alone. It doesn't mean moral perfection. It means, however, that you view yourself as set apart for God and God alone. But he says live, it means it's an action word. It means let the outside actions flow from the inside, and your inside is a heart that is set apart, belonging to God alone. It's going to take some time for all of your actions to come to agree with what happens in your heart, but over time, the heart wins and shows itself in your actions. He says, live as though you are holy, set apart for God alone. But he also said, live godly lives, and it just means like God. Just live like God. Oh, thanks, Peter. That's easy. I mean, all of this judgment stuff has me worried because I'm not like God in my actions. Right? End of testimony, people. Come on, help me out. Yeah. How are we going to do this if the call to live in light of judgment is a call to live godly lives? Don't have time to preach the entire New Testament today, but uh, suffice it to say that all of the New Testament writers and the one early New Testament speaker, Jesus, tell us the same thing. That on your own, we don't like your odds of being able to live godly lives. Because we live with you. <laughs> we know what you're like. You're like us, me. But the Scriptures also paint the picture that when you come to understand what God can do for you and you invite Him to come and live in your heart, you can be changed from the inside out. The old habits that used to own you, they can be broken. The addictions that held you in chains, 
they can lose their power. The desires that kept leading you astray, they can be changed. God can change your heart and change you from the inside out. So that, strangely enough, you surprise you by how you act under fire. And you find that that goodness that God is working in your heart comes out through your lips and through the work of your hands. So if there's this judgment and it's coming, Peter said, uh, fortunately God's waiting because he's patient because he loves us and would rather love us than judge us. When it comes, it's coming uh, like a fury. How should we live? He says, live like people who really belong to God and quit making excuses for why you don't. You know how, how good it is, how effective it is to make excuses to God? You make excuses to me. I may buy them. The problem with making excuses to God is he knows the truth and knows your heart. So all the excuse making does is make you look like an excuse maker, who is a person who tells lies trying to get off the hook when they never intended to be faithful. In other words, excuses don't work with God, so just be honest. Live toward him honestly. Ask for the help of his Holy Spirit in becoming one who lives like he does. How should we live? If there's a judgment that's coming, we don't like the idea, but it's coming, how should we live? Peter says, well, live like people who believe God's word, who believe that there's a new world coming, and that we are to use this life in this world to prepare ourselves for life in the next one. See, while he was talking about the whole business of judgment, you probably heard the part about fire and damnation and destruction. It's all the stuff that we associate with judgment. But in the very same chapter, Peter said, oh, by the way, there's also good news in this. It's the God who doesn't like this messed up world in its present condition any more than you and I do. He has said, you know what, I'll make a new one for all of us. That will make a new world for us. And it will be a beautiful thing. I'll fix the broken stuff. I'll make all things new. I'll make you new from the inside out. And then I'll make a new world where we can be together. I like that idea. God making me new and making a new world. That is, that he's in this life getting me ready for life in the next one. I think um, Christian teaching on heaven gets a lot more specific than the Bible does, and that's a problem. When we start talking in greater detail than the Bible does about anything, we're just spouting our opinions about it. You know what the Bible says about heaven? There is one. It says God's there. It says um, people can get there. And then it talks in metaphorical language that we can't understand. You know, it says like streets are made of transparent gold. Gold's not transparent. You can't see through it. Don't know what that means. Pretty, I think, is what it means. Pretty, kind of nice. But it doesn't, uh, doesn't tell us a whole lot about heaven. It says there's no, um, no tears there. That's a good thing. I don't understand it, how I can be there and there be a life that's so perfect that there's no reason to cry. I don't get that. So now I need to tell you something that I think is a thus saith the cliff, not a thus saith the Lord. Therefore, you should hold it a lot more loosely. But at least I'm being honest, where a lot of other people have preached about heaven and said, thus saith the Lord, when the Bible doesn't say much more about heaven than what I just told you. We have painted this picture of heaven as though God zaps people before they get there, or, I don't know, upon entry, so that now they're just perfect in every way. Have you heard, um, have you heard teaching about heaven or stories about heaven that talk like um, everybody will be a perfect musician? 
Everybody will have perfect knowledge and know absolutely all things as much as God. Have you heard that kind of nonsense? Or was it just, you know, my messed up Sunday school teacher? Um, but this idea that everybody will have, like, superpowers, right? Kind of hope that one's true, Dustin. I want to fly, right? Uh, but it's this idea that it, it takes heaven and makes it fairy ish That everybody knows everything and has all strength and all abilities all at what It means we're all exactly the same in every oh man heaven's going to be boring if it's just a bunch of me or ed oh i mean i want i want a good solid ed there but you know not too much of a good thing ed (laughs) (laughs) tina no amens okay um uh i wonder if what god's trying i wonder if if what god is hoping will happen in this life is that we will so allow His Holy Spirit to work inside us that He gets us ready for the next life. What if you get to heaven able to enjoy heaven, the presence of God, the goodness, the beauty? What if when you get there, that's all the ability you have to enjoy it? I just wonder. Um... I think C.S. Lewis talked about this a little bit too. In other words, I think an awful lot of us have been saying, ah, forget the judgment. As long as I get into heaven, I don't care. I mean, I can live in a cardboard box, the city dump, as long as I'm in heaven. And I think, well, what if there's no dump? And what if there's no thrown away cardboard boxes? And what if it wouldn't seem like heaven if you're the person who never acquired a taste for it in the first place? What if what God was hoping to do in this life, in remaking us from the inside out, was to make us a people who could enjoy heaven when we eventually get there. This new world that he talks about. I think, note the word think, I think what Peter was saying was we should live like people who believe God's word, that there's a new world coming, and that we, because of that belief, spend the rest of this life getting ourselves prepared to live in the next one. We spend so much of our lives just fighting this world and trying to play defensive ball in this world. We focus on it, and it's why we whine and complain about how bad it is here. Peter said, live like people who think there's a new world coming. Spend some some time focusing your attention and your intent upon it. See if in the process of God remaking you, He doesn't make you one who can enjoy being with Him forever. Thus saith the clip. How should we live? We should also live, verse 14 says, in a way that makes your relationship with God more peaceful. Live in a way that makes your relationship with God more peaceful. And honestly, that's going to take a lot of effort for a lot of us. Question for you. Do you find this whole religion thing, relationship with God, to be at times awkward, uh, confusing, sometimes disappointing and unenjoyable? Don't have to raise your hands, but know this. Your pastor finds Christian living to be each of those things at various times. I find it to be confusing. I find it to be disappointing. There's some times that I don't enjoy it a whole lot, and it is awkward a lot of the time. Because I read about this new world, and I read about this new heart that God gives me, and I live in this world, and I still battle some things inside of me. And it's a tough go. 
There's medication for that. Yes. I'll just take some of yours. <laughs> Said that out loud, didn't I? The end of Cliff's pastorate here. Great. Can I give you a little practical Christianity 101 this morning? Don't make your life harder than it has to be. Live in ways that make life between you and God more pleasant. Think about this. Think of it in terms of your relationship with your parents or parents with your children. I'm going to talk to the, the kid end of things, but adults you can listen to because you were a kid once. Think about the times when you have ignored your parents' advice or wisdom and they were right. And since you ignored it, it got you into a tough spot and that then blew up in your face and you needed your parents to come and kind of help you out. Simple obedience would have saved you a lot of trouble. But you had to do it your way, and when you did it your way, boom, blew up in your face. And it left you, after your parents came, glad to help rescue you. It still left you feeling ashamed and a little bit at odds with your parents. Obedience and respecting their wisdom would have saved you a ton of trouble. The same is true in our relationship with God. But since we are in the opposite habit, we're in the, the, the habit of doing life our way and then saying, oh God, please help. I didn't see it coming. Nobody warned me. Boom. Since we're in the habit of living that way, it may take a while for us to break the habits of disobedience and of disrespecting the wisdom of God. It may take a long while. The good news is, he's not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient with He's waiting. How should we live? Live like people who really belong to God and quit making excuses for why you don't. Live like people who believe that there's a new world coming and you're getting ready for it. Live in a way that makes your relationship with God more peaceful instead of more awkward. Verse 17 says, build your relationship with God or it will unravel. Verse 17, I want to read it to you. Um, 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Peter says, build your relationship with God or it will unravel. He talks about this, re this relationship with Christ being a secure thing. God's got us, but he's got us safe and secure, but he does not imprison us. Now, you, I don't want this to be true, but here's what the scripture says. He said that you could fall from your secure position. Fall from secure position. Is the position secure? Yes. He says, I've got you in this, but I will not imprison you to me. Come love me. Come willingly stay with me. Be careful that you don't fall from this secure position. I don't like what it implies, but here's what it implies, that you can fall from your secure position. And here's what it teaches us about how to live. It teaches us to do what it takes to thrive or your faith will take a dive. And it's a little uh, catchy little rhyme that you can remember. But do what it takes to thrive or your faith will take a dive. 
Question for you. What are you doing intentionally to build your relationship with God so that it doesn't unravel while you're not paying attention? Just for you to answer. What's it take to thrive so that our faith doesn't take a dive? Uh, the last verse says, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He says, why don't you do this? Why don't you go back to what was written and agree with it? That's the knowledge end of things. He says, in the meantime, why don't you also grow in grace? You know what it means to grow in grace? It doesn't mean live in such a way that you need lots more grace. It means become a person who gives a lot more grace than you used to. Remember how I started this sermon by saying the church has run a lot of people off because we didn't offer them grace. We offered them a bony finger of judgment. Your sin is worse than my sin. Yeah, people don't like that. (laughs) They don't come to churches that are full of people like that. You know what they need? They need this good news. That yes, there's a judgment coming, but that God's not in a hurry to get there. While He will work justice one day, you know what He loves more? Mercy. Patience. He's not slow in keeping His promise. He's patient. And His patience means your salvation if you will eventually get the point. In the meantime, He says, you know what will help you come to really understand the grace of God toward you. Just start giving it to a bunch of people who don't deserve it. Because that's what God did with you. He gave grace to somebody who didn't deserve it. Church is supposed to be a connection place. A place where people can connect with God and connect with other people, but they will never try to connect with a bunch of people who do this. The people who give grace will never lack for friends. People who give grace will never lack for friends. Here's why. The whole world is eligible to be your friend because you're not too good for any of them. And they'll find that they're not too good for you if you're the guy who's always saying, welcome. I'm the president of Knuckleheads Unanimous. I was looking at Jace, not you, okay? All right. There's something strange about the broken human condition. We fear judgment, but we're usually willing to live like we don't really believe it's going to happen. We can't stand the notion of God disapproving of us, but we're willing to live like, well, how did Peter put it? He said, like God is slow in keeping his promise to bring judgment. So we just do life our way. We reject his wisdom, and, and uh, we decide we know better how to live in this world. We disobey him. It's foolish, isn't it? Here at First Naz, we believe that there is a different path than that. And it's a better, more preferable path. It's a way of living that's called discipleship. And discipleship means connecting with God and others, doing what it takes to grow in our faith, and serving as a way of life. All three are necessary components, growth included, You say, well, I've been trying to connect with God, and yeah, I help out some, but grow in my faith? Uh, 
I don't have time, uh, not that interested. Understand this, if a disciple is someone who connects with God and others, grows in their faith, and uh, serves as a lifestyle, if you take any one of those three things away, you don't have a disciple. Hmm. All three are necessary components. And if we take away one of them and we say, yeah, growth, it's an option, it puts us in a difficult position with God. See, we don't live... Well, Finish this up, Cliff. Two sentences. Here we go. The children of God do not need to fear judgment because we know that Jesus has accepted the punishment for all of our sins. But we don't live like there is no judgment because we fear God and want to honor Him. Two sentences. You get it? How should we live in this world? Peter said, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. So the question today is, do you want to? Or do you just want to show up, hear a sermon a week, starve to death slowly? Just so you know, that's what I promise to do. Preach enough to starve you to death slowly. If all you do is come here, if this is the only thing that contributes to your spiritual growth and feeding each week is Pastor Cliff's sermon, I promise to slowly and painfully starve you to death. Just give you enough to string you along. Because it doesn't matter how hard I try to do the other, I can't. In order to thrive in this world, you're going to have to do something about it. If you don't do what it takes to thrive, your faith will take a dive. None of us want to see that happen. So what's it take to thrive in your faith? All the stuff that we talk about all the time. We don't fill up a calendar of Bible studies and discipleship classes around here to make our lives more busy. We offer opportunities for you to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Every day, you get the same number of hours as I do. I would highly encourage that you take part of it to spend time in God's Word and in prayer. If you would do a little bit on your own, and then come let me do a little bit of it on Sunday, and meet with some other Christ follower somewhere between this Sunday and the next one, I think you will be making real steps towards spiritual growth, both in knowledge and in grace. I highly recommend it to you. It's better than the life of slow, painful starvation that is promised to all of us who do nothing about growing in our faith. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Close your heads. Uh, close your heads. <laughs> you know, some people just need to know when to quit. And I think I was done preaching about five minutes ago. Um, close something and open something else. Close your eyes. Um, open your hearts. Bow your heads. Let me, uh, let me ask you, will you pause before God in silence for just a moment? Say, God, is that your hand in the middle of my back just nudging me forward a little bit? Are you wanting me to take steps forward in the faith today to, to really make a decision today that life changes today? I will be a grower. We listen for your voice.
Listen, friends, if God's got His hand on your back and He's pushing you just a little bit forward, you need to know something. You do not want to try to live forever bracing yourself against the hand of God that is gently nudging you forward in your faith. Why don't you follow His lead today? Let Him stir up that hunger in your heart for His Word. Because if you sow His Word into your heart, in any of those ways, all those ways that I talked about, you will find that you will grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will not have reason to fear judgment. And you will be used by God in this world to bring glory to Him and great good to others. That's what we want, Lord, so would you do it? Would you bump us past all of our excuses? No one's more busy than anyone else. We just fill our lives with all the stuff we want to do. Would you bump us past our laziness if it's what's keeping us from you? Would you forgive us of our unbelief if we have just cast an unbelieving eye toward this notion of judgment? Give us eyes to see the steps that you want us to take. Hearts that believe both in that day that's coming and in the present grace and forgiveness of God. The patience that brings about our salvation. Lord, I thank you for not being slow, but patient with people like us. Some are ready today to make pledges to you. I will be one who seeks growth. Meet them at their place of decision, Lord. Give them strength and help. Help them to see when they're making excuses. Give them a leg up over the top of all those barriers that stand in the way. Just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Again, clarity in how I ask this question. I'm not asking if you feel guilty for not growing. I'm saying today, do you know for a fact God tapped you on the shoulder and said, I want you to take a step forward. And you said yes to him. Would you just raise your hand? Because I just want to know. I'm look, yeah, Keep it up there because I just want to make sure I'm remembering faces and who I can pray for. All right. Yeah, good, 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 good. Yep, back there too. Both of you. Good, yeah. So Lord, since... You spoke and some said yes. I want to insert myself in the equation and say, be with my brothers and sisters, young and old. All these hands over here, those there and those in the back. Who said, I heard his voice and I say yes. Help them, encourage them, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, let me make this easy for you as you leave. If you're wanting to grow in your faith and you don't have a copy of the Bible for uh, a copy for your very own, uh, just go out to the, the kiosk, the connection desk. It's right out those back doors of the sanctuary. We have free Bibles for anyone who, who doesn't have one. So uh, somebody, whoever, Bill, can you just run out there to the connection desk for me? And if uh, you're saying, I want to take a step forward in the faith and I need a copy of the scriptures to make it happen, you just see Pastor Bill and he'll be glad to hook you up with that. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So may you know his peace this day and always. Amen. You are dismissed.